Hey, this is Alex from Los Angeles. And this is Karan from San Francisco. Welcome to Movies That Shaped Us, a journey of self-discovery through a shared love of film. We are two longtime friends who grew up on opposite ends of the globe with very different backgrounds, but were both shaped and are still being shaped by the movies we see and love. In each episode, we'll cover a topic around important people, places, events, and moments in our lives, and then explore it through three of our favorite films. We hope these movies and topics uh, that we choose are fun and revelatory to you just the way they've been to us. So with that, Alex, what is our episode for today? So there's a uh, bit of a chill in the air. The uh, <laughs> days are getting a bit shorter. The leaves are changing. Summer is a distant memory because it is fall. Um, and the episode uh, today is movies that shaped our feelings of fall. Um, so much like we did our summer episode a couple weeks back, if uh, folks remember, now it's a new season, um, new time of year, and we wanted to reflect on the season through some of our favorite films. Um, so I'll kind of start a little bit, Karan, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you approach this episode. But, um, you know, to me, you know, I, I grew up in uh, New England and uh, in Boston. So fall was definitely a season that was um, very, uh, you could tell it was fall. <laughs> it was very yeah. <laughs> uh, identifiable, unlike here in, in California, especially in Los Angeles. I don't know. There really isn't much of a fall here, but, you yeah. know, in, uh, in New England. Yeah. Like I was saying in the beginning of the episode, I think it would get cooler outside. Leaves would change. Um, that brings with a lot of activities, you know, apple picking. We we did as a family a lot. Um, you know, Halloween is in the fall, which is my favorite, one of my favorite holidays growing up, you know, trick-or-treating activities. Um, you know, school starts again, which is big for me in the fall, though we had another episode of school, so I'm not going to cover that too much uh, in this episode. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a very distinct change. Uh, a lot of um, uh, like surface things changing. Uh, you definitely could see those those leaves changing um, and just a different feeling all of a sudden. And there was a bit too, you know, in terms of the other beyond the surface level, you know, some bit of, okay, the winter's coming up and a year is coming up, um, a new school year is starting. So there's a bit of a uh, reflection, I guess, back on the rest of the year, things mm -hmm. changing. Uh, those are definitely themes uh, for me, but it was a season I, I did actually really enjoy. Um, you know, not as much as summer. I'm more of a summer kind of person, but I did like the fall um, and it's uh yeah, I miss it a little bit being here in California, to be honest. But uh, yeah, what what about uh, what about you? What does fall mean to you, and how did you approach this episode? Yeah, I think I shared this on the summer episode that I'm really not a summer person, but I'm definitely a fall person, which is mm -hmm. kind of funny because I grew up in India where there is no fall, at least in the cities that I grew up in. There uh -huh. is fall probably in northern India, but. You know, for me, this was not really a term that I used or anybody that I knew used. Uh, it was through movies. So in some ways, you know, movies, New York, fall, all this is like a fantasy thing that I grew up with. And then, oh. you know, to move here and then experience it and, you know, all the things you said, like the change and the crisp air, just the beauty of fall foliage. Um reflection time, pre-holiday time, all of that. I just find that quite joyful. Uh, and we'll get into the list, obviously, uh, with various themes. But I actually like the slight melancholy feeling in mm. general. And I mm -hmm. think that's the one thing I know some people just don't like about fall, that it's starting to get cold and a little bit grayer, a little bit gloomier. But I find that kind of cozy. Mm. Um so yeah, this is my favorite festival. So I'm I'm very happy to kind of get into this. <laughs> cool, cool. So, so it sounds like fall for you was only through the movies growing up. I mean, obviously you're in SF now. 
there's I don't do you feel like there's not much of really. a fall up there? But in no. New York, when you were in New York, did you yeah. experience fall then? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I've tried to kind of make specific trips during the fall time. Mm-hmm two cities or states that actually have a fall thing, you know, mm-hmm. since the time I've been in the U.S. So I've seeked it out because nice. I, I wanted to. I do not like pumpkin spice latte, if anybody's curious, <laughs> though. Okay. Except other than that, other fall things I am pro for. Got it. Okay, cool. Well, uh, yeah, why don't we uh, jump right on then? Then uh, what is your number three film that shaped your feeling of fall? All right. So my number three film that shaped my feelings for fall is a movie called All That Heaven Allows from 1955, directed by Douglas Sirk, starring Jane Wyman, Rock Hudson, Agnes Moorhead. Uh, quick logline, an upper-class widow falls in love with a much younger down-to-earth nurseryman. That a word? Uh, much to the disapproval of her children and criticism of her country club peers. So in a previous episode, we covered this movie, Far From Heaven, which is a bit of an homage to this movie. That's sort of how I got to this movie. And Far From Heaven is one of my favorite films. We talked about it on the podcast. So, but this movie specifically is on my fall list because uh, I think it does, to me, exemplify what I was just talking about, which is the slight melancholic feeling that fall brings. Mm-hmm. It is very beautiful. It is cozy. But... There is a chill and a cold to what the main character is experiencing, literally, but also in the ecosystem. And I think both these movies, Far From Heaven Allows, All That Heaven Allows, both have that. So whenever I think of fall and I'm thinking about sort of the more melancholic, slightly sadder feelings that I do associate with fall as well, which I like. Uh, I think of this movie and Far From Man. That's why this is on my list. Uh, You touched on this a little bit. I think this movie at the center, I mean, this movie is about many, many things, of Mm -hmm. course, but, you know, class and uh, what have you, uh, your relationship with their children, finding love at a certain point in your life. But at the core of it, I think this movie is a very reflective movie about how do you see yourself Mm How much do you value how others see you and think about you? Um, And then ultimately, what choices are you going to make uh, to make yourself happy? Mm -hmm. Uh, And and what drives you? What are those motivations? So I think it's a very reflective film, which like you touched on a little bit ago, fall is that, you know, there's, it's, there's a very reflective quality to it. The year is over. Uh, I personally start getting into that headspace of what have I done this year? Have I accomplished mm-hmm. everything? What relationships, you know, do I value? What could I have done differently? Was I nice? Was I good? All of that, you know? So I think this movie has a lot of those resonances with me. This is obviously a heightened melodrama, which is what Douglas Sirk is known for. And so I can understand this may not be everyone's cup of tea. And frankly, it took me a little bit as well to warm up to mm. his style far from heaven i don't see it as a melodrama even though it has those shades but this is an out and out melodrama for sure but i think after a few viewings it's so interesting to me that in its grandeur and melodrama uh there is sort of a sense of place and and almost transportive quality to it that after a while you sort of 
at least I don't pay much attention to the histrionics. You really start mm-hmm. to pay attention to these deeper themes. And I think a lot of it is anchored on how he casts his movie. Like there's always, you know, a very fully rounded female character at the center of the movie, sometimes more than one. Uh-huh. Um, and I think Jane Wyman really carries this movie on her shoulders. Like if you don't have that central performance where you can see everything in her eyes and her face, this movie does not work. Like you need that central core amidst all the grandeur and the melodrama to kind of really ground it. And I think she just does a great job. It doesn't hurt that his movies are brilliantly made, the cinematography, Mm. the score, the production design, sense of place. We talk a lot about that on this podcast. It's just all so beautifully realized. You're truly in fall to the point that Rock Hudson is talking about leaves and trees. Like, you know, you actually learn about fall literally uh, from him in the movie. Is it cheesy at points? For sure. Did the last accident of him tumbling over had to happen? Not really. Whenever that happens, I'm like, oh, of course. Uh, But there's a lot of great, I don't know, joy in it in like a sad kind of way, which I, I really enjoy. So I think it's a great sort of you know fall thursday night watch mm. you know get yourself a hot cocoa or whatever or if you're into psl you know go have that <laughs> and get a nice blanket and put this movie on and uh and you'll have a good time so yeah that's all that heaven allows at number three yeah i think you describe the mood of the film really well in terms of a cozy um yeah, like grab a blanket and a, a cocoa. Um, I, I'd um, I'd actually never seen this film before. I'd, I we talked about Far From Heaven. I think this will come up a lot in this portion of the, <laughs> of the podcast. Which again, loved it. Saw it when it yeah. came out. Loved it again when it rewatched for the podcast. Um, but I'd never gone back and seen the films that uh, you know were homage that you know that film was doing an homage to. And I was really uh, I I liked this movie a lot. Um, I thought it yes, it was very melodramatic. Yes, it was a quote unquote woman's picture. You know, the old mm-hmm. version of a Lifetime movie, which I you know can enjoy if you're doing a a genre picture and you're hitting all the marks of what you expect out of the genre. Like that is something that. I enjoy when films do that. Um, yeah. Just the look of this film. I just could not get over how incredible the, the colors, especially when, oh. it, I mean, especially when it's talking about fall, like one of the things I associate with fall is, you know, a, a very, there's definitely a, a color palette that one talks about with fall and man, all those colors are there. And they're so like these burnt oranges and reds oh. and, it just blew me away on 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 how that looked um and how again with the the cinematography how he stages certain things honestly there's this one scene um where she's talking i think it's uh the the uh, main character she's talking to her daughter and it's mm-hmm. this the lights coming through the stained glass window and it's mm-hmm. like lighting all of them just in this light and it's just i mean stunning um it just i was like wow so visually which is uh, a big thing for me when i look at and enjoy a movie i'm just curious about or no, it affects me in terms of how it looks. And gosh, the technical, the, the technicolor in this, some of the best I've seen um, in, in a film. I, I also like the themes of, uh, you know, being kind of trapped by this suburban um, expectations mm-hmm. of what it was like um, to be living in, in the 50s, um, I thought was, uh, you know, a, a good tale. So it's always nice to see, or I, I always connect with movies about, you know, suburbia being kind of not this, uh, paradise, but more like a trap and a prison because of various things. And I think that this movie touches on all that stuff. I mean, 
Now, again, not to compare it to Far From Heaven, I do think Far From Heaven, because of the the um, the stakes in that movie being about race and sexuality, felt a lot more heightened than, oh, yeah. you can't marry this guy because he's a gardener. It's like, I get it. Like, I get it because it was the 50s and it has to be a little overly melodramatic. But I think what Far From Heaven, by taking it that, you know, those deeper layers of being actually commenting about things that were going on at the time that I don't think Douglas Sirk really could have touched on in the same way um, that far from heaven did, you know? So I, I, I hate comparing films, but I just did. <laughs> it was hard. It was hard to watch this. It's, it's like, hard wow, not to this in this situation. Far, yeah. Like this is really far from heaven. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was great. And it definitely did um, remind me a lot of the fall, just in the color palette and yeah, the, the tone, that melancholy tone of the film that you touch on is definitely something I, you know, associate with the season two, but uh, it was yeah. great. Definitely something uh, I recommend, especially if anyone's seen far from heaven and enjoyed as much as we did. I mean, I don't know why it took me 10 plus years to go back and see some of the films that were uh, being homaged to in that, in that movie. But uh, it's great. I, I was again, surprised. Actually, I, I thought I would like it, but I like really liked it. It was a really enjoyable watch. I'm surprised and glad that you liked it that much. Cause you know, I- I like I said, I, I it took a while for me to warm up to this movie. I've seen it a few times, mm-hmm. only because of the Far From Heaven connection. So, and I finally sort of got it. And I kind of locked into it because I I found it hard to kind of get past the melodrama initially. Uh, yeah, but you know, I'm I'm so glad that you liked it. And um, on the color thing, like not only the the colors of the topography, but also like the rooms and the dresses oh, and oh, everything, yeah. like. It's just so lush. Like imagine watching this on, you know, the big screen. I kept thinking about when this movie would have come out in 55. It's very present day, you know, mm-hmm. when all this stuff is happening. Like, oh, yeah. So you're you're going there in this beautiful like cinema palace sort of place, all dressed up, watching this movie. And especially if you come from like a slightly affluent or suburban area, like it must have really hit home, uh, but also, you know, started a conversation after mm-hmm. the movie while everybody's all dressed up. And I just kept, I always think about it. Where would people go after this movie? Are they going <laughs> to go to some, like, I don't know, cocktail lounge or something, or maybe yeah. it's somebody's place, like the parties that you see in this movie, they feel so real. I mean, they are, because they're of that time. You know, right, the parties right. are amazing. I, I kind of want to be at one of those parties, although maybe not, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. It is definitely very uh, like transportive in a way that like, I, I'm sure it wasn't exactly like that. Like it seems like a heightened sort of reality. Yeah. You a bit of rose colored glasses, but at the same time, like these, I think a lot of the themes that the the film touches on about just being trapped as a, especially as a woman in, in the fifties where, you know, as a divorcee, like she was like, you can't do certain things and uh, laws were different back then in terms of what women, mm-hmm. you know, couldn't, couldn't control in terms of finances. And again, expectations of the town. And I, I just thought it was, uh, was great. A lot of stuff going on. That's when the children, we didn't even talk about them, but oh yeah, they sort of have their own thing. And I actually, not so much with the son, but with the daughter, I appreciate that there's enough time spent that you understand that this is just a child, you know? It's it's not just some, like, two-dimensional villain character who's just, you know, against it just Mm because, you know? So I think I love that it's a little bit rounded, not that you empathize with the children, but you sort of get a little bit where they might be coming from. Right, for sure. Uh, but they are quite horrible, though. 
Yeah, but yeah, but you understand, like I understand yeah. again where they're coming from. But uh, yeah, 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 great, great characters, all, all great around. characters. Yeah. Uh, all right, what's your number three? Um, so my number three film that shaped my feelings of fall is a Sleepy Hollow from 1999. This is a film directed by Tim Burton, starring Johnny Depp, Christina Ricci, Casper Van Dien, Michael Gambon, Christopher Walken, and a host of other great British actors. Uh, the IMDb plot summary, Ichabod Crane is sent to Sleepy Hollow to investigate the decapitations of three people, with the culprit being the legendary apparition, the Headless Horseman. Um, so this film is uh, in a similar way to what we just talked about with with Far From, uh, not sorry, not Far From Heaven, geez, <laughs> all, <laughs> all That Heaven Allows, um, the, uh, the, the those color palettes being so rich and definitely reminding me of Fall. This to me is in the same way, but the other side of Fall, like after all the leaves are gone and everything is dead, um, before the winter has come and the snow has come, I, mean, I think this movie just on a surface level is, uh, you know, captures that incredibly well. Like some of the best production design, you know, takes place in this town in upstate New York, Sleepy Hollow. Um, you know, Donnie Depp's character leaves New York City. This is uh, in the uh, late 18 or uh, mid 1800s, um, takes a little uh, carriage ride up there and just that whole like New England fall town. Um, mm -hmm. Again, coming from from New England, I, mean, I guess it's not New England, it's New York. But in that part of the country, at least, yeah. um, it's the season when I think of fall again, having grown up there, maybe I'm biased, but I always think of a New England uh, town, New upstate New York, and this film takes place there. Um, so there's this dead chill in the air that I get through fall. Um, and it's definitely something in this entire film, just from the production design, just fantastic. Actually, I think it won an Oscar for production design, uh, I believe, uh, which mm. didn't, I know it was nominated art direction at one for, mm. um, definitely deserve it for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, there's that, but then the other side of this too, is this is a, unlike the original Washington Irvin, uh, short story, which is a little bit of horror, but it, this film is definitely more of like a mystery, like a cozy mystery, which is a genre. I also really associate a lot with, um, with the fall season as well. It's like, you know, a little cold outside you want to you know read something that's you know not super scary necessarily uh but just uh you know a little bit of mystery but you're it was a bit of a chill in the air you want to chill in your spine a bit um and i think what this movie does well is it incorporates this mystery element which is not in the original um short story or the previous adaptations at least that i've seen of this story um so that mis mystery element i think helps uh me like, associate a lot of things uh with fall and then of course like i mentioned you know the horror elements as well um the decapitations which are played more for laughs i mean this is definitely um <laughs> tim burton's tribute to the hammer horror style um mm -hmm. that was really popular in the uh, in the 60s and early 70s uh from the hammer studios um and it definitely which is a, more of a you know comedic horror kind of over exaggerated uh violence um and scares and this gothic horror element those are all things that were popular in those films and i think what tim burton does in this film brilliantly is brings those into this washington urban story which you know it, other adaptations necessarily did not have this um i i think also you know there's a lot of uh party scenes bobbing for apples again these are all things mm -hmm. that i would do as a kid as a kid every time the fall came around so it's fun to to see those and reminisce about things that that i did in the fall too but you know again i think as a film um not only did it have all these these elements like i mentioned in terms of fall but i i do watch this film i don't know about every year but usually once every other year at least around this oh, wow. time it, it puts me in the mood for for what, uh, you know, getting that fall feeling, which I don't get in California or in LA, I'll say, uh, where the fall is basically just like a, a bit of a cooler summer. It's not really a real season. I watch this and I'm like, oh yeah, no, this is kind of what fall was like uh, being in New England with 
um, all those aesthetic things I mentioned. But as a film, actually, I think I, you know, I saw this when it came out. I was a big Tim Burton fan, fan growing up, and it's aged really well for me. Every time I see it, I actually like it better and appreciate it a lot better from, again, like I said, the incredible production design, uh, Oscar winning art direction to, um, you know, Lubeski was the DP. I think some, some of these shots, this thing yeah. is amazing. I mean, they, they created an entire town. They filmed this thing in, in the UK and built the entire village, um, it was all a set, just fantastic. Um, great performances. I mean, Johnny Depp, uh, just, giving sort of like a proto Sherlock version of what they eventually did on that show in terms of this uh, investigator character who's trying to use science in, in this era of uh, where science really people didn't trust it. It was more about folklore and religion. Um, but he's also has uh, some past elements that he's trying to get over in terms of the death of his mom and how she was treated, but also very funny. He can play that off really well. Christina Ricci is also great. And I think they have fantastic chemistry. And like I mentioned, a whole slew of great British actors who kind of, you know, I don't want to say like hamming it up, but definitely, um, you know, chewing the scenery a bit. Um, so yeah, like overall for me, I think uh, this film has that coziness um, as a mystery, um, but really aesthetically, like I watched this and I'm like, okay, this now I'm remembering what Woodfall was like to, to grow up in uh, in a place with Hatful. <laughs> um, so that's uh, Burton's uh, Sleepy Hollow. Cool. Um, yeah, I had never seen this movie, no surprise, because I'm not a horror movie person. So I always thought that this is a horror movie, mm-hmm. but I've never seen it. So I was happy to check it out. I couldn't agree more with you on the look of the movie. And I was just reminded one more time, like the difference of just practical sets and the care that goes into it and what that does to a story and a movie is just unparalleled. And Mm -hmm. all these super expensive CGI movies, which are supposedly transporting you somewhere, they're not, Mm -hmm. never do, at least for me. And so there's such a great reminder just to see that. Um, I thought the movie is very, I mean, it's gory for sure. So it, for me, like that's not a thing I associate with fall. Heads getting get... cut off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if I would ever be watching this movie again. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a very gripping story for sure. I was at the edge of my seat throughout the movie. It's very nicely made, like we talked about. Um, and yeah, the chill in the air part. There's that's happening literally, but also also with the th- the themes of the movie. Right. So, right. You know that's obviously great um johnny depp is interesting like i don't remember if this this movie is before pirates right yeah 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 it's uh two years three years before a pirate four years i think pirates is 2003 so yeah three three, four years before i sort of saw and i haven't seen pirates in a while i think we saw it together the last time yeah i think it was last year or something like that Yeah, yeah so i don't remember it super clearly but I sort of got feelers of that same, mm. especially in the in the beginning parts when he gets there and he's investigating and, you know, smart, but slightly silly and goofy, a little bit boyish and idiotic, but yet smart. All of that was happening, which kind of reminded me a little bit of pirates, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, maybe because I have the pirates thing in my mind, it took me out of this movie a little bit. Um, and it made me also question that the period that you're in, 18, whatever time this is, 18, whatever, mm-hmm. like, is this how people are, would be acting? <laughs> uh, you know, like everybody else feels very period yeah. appropriate to me. 
except for Johnny Depp is just Johnny Depp in this movie and other movies that come after. At least you can see his face. I'm oh, sure there's a lot yeah. of makeup, but you know. So I appreciate that you can see his face because at some point you just don't see his face for right, like right, right, thirty years. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do appreciate that. Still very good, very captivating, but. That's the one piece that sort of took me out, but maybe I should watch it again. No, that, that's interesting because I think this is, yeah, this is pre the, that era of Depp's career where he's basically right. now the, his, what he does with a character is a centerpiece of a film and you sort of build the film around his weird take on a certain character. Right. This is, you know, before that, but you can still see how he, could have like as is evolving into basically I mean pirates changes a lot of different things but definitely changes his career I mean that's a new phase of his career um and at this point I think he still um doesn't have those expectations so I think he's able to do more subtle things with that yeah. type of uh you know I don't know Jack Sparrow at ness that he brings to so many roles post uh post pirates for better or for worse mainly for mm. worse and a lot of the stuff that he did post pirates uh, but I actually think this performance, again, maybe easier because I had seen the film at the time before. Right. You know, exactly. Pirates, so, so I don't have that, like... Uh, baggage. Yeah, exactly. That that baggage that hasn't arrived yet. Uh, the baggage is still on its way. Uh, <laughs> that I'm able to kind of get lost in his performance and, and see a lot of things. Again, I think really influential on these sort of, uh, you know, snooty, know-it-all, like, scientist, police investigator, that whole kind of character that has been done so many times since right. uh, since this this point... Uh, but then does have, you know, his own, uh, he's very socially awkward. I think a lot of his performance of feeling not as um, of the time is because he is, doesn't fit in there. Like the rest of this town is very True. religious and folklore and they don't believe in science and everything that he's doing is so antithetical to everything that they believe in. So he does have to kind of stick out a little bit. Honestly, even when he's in scenes in New York, like they are like, oh, you're some weird guy who wants to do like forensic investigations. Get out yeah, of here and go into this fit, town. Like, fit in there either. We don't even want you. He, like he's a guy ahead of his time, which I think the that last line of the film. Um, so this is about, uh, oh, welcoming a new century. So I guess this right. film must have taken place in either 1899, probably, I guess. Um, anyway, or 1799. Mm. So I think he's supposed to represent like the new generation where we're headed in terms of, you know, police investigations. That's why it's a little mm. weird. But uh, mm. yeah, I, I actually... When watching this again uh, for, for this, which, I, you know, I, I'd seen this film very often and pr pretty recently, too, because I watch it a lot in the fall. I was, yeah, I was struck by actually how good the performance was. But I, I get what you're talking about, the baggage piece. It's hard to look beyond that. Johnny Depp is such a big force in the, this cent uh, century, at least, that it's hard to remember back when he was just the actor in the 90s. Yeah, no, I totally see that. But that's a good point that he is kind of an outsider across the board, so it's kind of meta in that sense right uh, yeah that's what burton yeah. does a lot with his outsider characters but, yeah uh, yeah cool great so uh why don't we start discussing your number two movie that shaped your feeling of fall what do we got sounds good so uh, my number two is baby boom from 1987 directed by charles shire written by nancy myers and charles shire starring diane keaton sam shepherd harold ramis a uh, quick log line from imdb a life of super yuppie JC is thrown into turmoil when she inherits a baby from a distant relative. So I put this movie on, on the list. First of all, in 2020, amidst pandemic, mm -hmm. being in New York, kind of by myself, one of my really good buddies visited me and we 
went to Vermont for like a week in the peak fall season, which oh, was nice. kind of a just a highlight on its own. But, yeah. you know, having that experience and with a friend after months and months of isolation, being amidst all this, you know, fall foliage and beauty and all of it was just such an amazing experience that now in my real life, when I think about fall, I think about Vermont mm. and just how beautiful it was. Like I just had not seen colors like that, but it's sort of heightened because of what that trip meant and, you know, when it came and such. So, so this movie, a big chunk of it is in Vermont, which is why I always think of this movie, but I think on like a thematic level, it's sort of in my mind picks up where the previous movie that I had on my list, All That Heaven Allows, mm -hmm. finishes, which is, okay, you have all these questions, reflections, life has taken turns the way it has, some that were in your control, some that weren't in your control, what are you going to do about it? You know, what action are you going to take? What lessons are you going to learn about yourself? Uh, and how are you going to reorient your life? And so that is very much a fall mindset uh, for me. And I think that's sort of what you see uh, during the course of the, this movie from what I think is a tour de force performance by Diane Keaton. Like she is so good in this movie. Uh, it's really her movie. Like the movie mm -hmm. is silly. If, you know, for many reasons that we may or may not get into, but it's a very entertaining watch for sure. Uh, but it's her movie, really. Mm -hmm. You know, you see this heightened, very sort of uh, stereotypical depiction of, you know, career people, um, especially career women uh, from the point of view of the time then. But frankly, even now, you know, there's some of that that's still relevant. And I think the movie is quite smart in that way. Like what is happening around you and what's been projected on you, but then also how much of that are you letting, how much of that are you letting get to you? And mm -hmm. I think this character is letting a lot of that get to her. And in some ways when this baby shows up and her life is just completely upended, uh, it's almost sort of a relearning of everything that matters to her. And she ends up starting her own small business. Mm -hmm. I mean, the way that business takes off and becomes like a thing, it's kind of funny and crazy. Like that would it's not a movie. happen. It's a movie. It's a movie. Yeah. But it's I still, I love that scene when those people are in like some little, you know, store and they're like, oh, we'd love to buy the small batch thing. I laughed at that because... I'm definitely one of those people <laughs> who show up to these like cutesy stores and yeah. some, like quaint little town. I was like, oh, handmade honey. Yes, right. I want some. <laughs> Meanwhile, the people are probably rolling their eyes. Like, yeah, here comes this dude from yeah. you know, God city. knows where. Yeah. The city guy, yeah. exactly. So <laughs> I, I always, you know, laugh at that, but it's true. Um, and then I, I love the Sam Shepard and Diane Keaton connection. It's It's a very classic rom-com thing like for a little bit of the movie the movie becomes a rom-com mm -hmm. and you know nancy myers obviously is brilliant at that so there are no great kitchens the kitchen is frankly a bit of a mess here <laughs> uh, in this movie but i love that cottage uh would love to once it's done especially it's it's really really nice and uh would love to live there the movie ends on an interesting note like i think i would be very curious if this movie were made now how would this movie end? 
Um, in that time, it seems like the choice she makes is to not go back, which I think is the right choice. And by going back, I mean to the to the big city, to the big mm-hmm. corporate side of things, because you know they don't want her; they just want the business. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said about her wanting to live her life on her own terms. But I'm I'd be very curious. I mean, the movie sort of says a little bit that she's going back because she wants the guy as well and all of that. It doesn't have to be about that. You know, it could just be about, okay, I love what I'm doing. I want to build this. I could still live in the city and build my business, you know, for all you know, and staff up a team in Vermont to handle, you know, production, what have you. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'd be curious to see how this movie takes shape if it were made today, but it's still a very entertaining watch to me and Vermont fall maple syrup, all the things <laughs> that I like. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, you know, for me again, I don't keep saying I'm biased growing up in new England, but I still associate fall with all those, those things, a small town in Vermont. Yeah. That's the place where you want to spend fall. I'm glad to hear you enjoyed your, your time in the, in Vermont. It's a beautiful state. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd never seen this film before. Um, I, I I agree with you that like it's definitely uh, Diane Keaton carries the picture. Like she, her performance, I thought, is kind of mainly what the movie was built around. And yep. if that didn't really work or the actress couldn't really hold that, the movie would be a kind of boring. Yeah. Um, you and know, I thought silly it, and silly. Yeah, yeah, and silly. I mean, definitely the premise is you know funny. Like she is this very successful puts every her career above everything else uh woman um who then gets given a baby um and th- those scenes at the beginning were really funny too when she's holding yeah. the baby sort of like it's not even a doll she's so in a less respect she would a doll it's like funny and, and it, <laughs> they, you know it's not really i mean yeah you could if that was a real person doing that i'd be like oh my god you're endangering this kid but in the way that the movie plays it out it's like oh it's it's actually like pretty funny how yeah. that happens and then it's just interesting seeing her. I mean, I, you know, was seeing this movie really about a tra- her transformation, I thought was uh, pretty, I don't want to say the word powerful, but I, I like kind of connected a lot to this is like, okay, you're stuck in this, you know, environment where all you are is how much money you make. You're judging yourself by your worth, your quote unquote relationship with Harold Ramis. Like it was all just like a business deal. Totally. Um, she even got the kid and then all she's doing immediately when she's still in New York is, okay, well, how do I, you know, she's this funny scenes where she takes the kid to like this class where they're trying to teach them <laughs> like German and Japanese. And it's like, your kid is like four or not even four months not or something. Four. Yeah. Like a, a young kid. And it's like, okay, well there's a, you know, the classic scene they even make fun of movies today. Like the moms be like, wow, if I don't get them into the pre-K, they're not going to get into right. the kindergarten. They're not going to give it this and this and this. And all of a sudden now they're never going to, you know, get that successful job. So it's like the entire, even when she's seeing this baby, it's like, wow, this innocent kid that I just kind of got already, the system is sort of taking you over and turning you into a, just a cog in this giant capitalist wheel. Um, and instead she, you know, breaks free from that because of the baby. Right. But I think she always sort of wasn't happy, even in the beginning of this film, chasing yeah. this dream of uh, a successful career is a very hollow thing. Um, especially if you don't have anyone to share it with. And she right. now had this baby that she was going to share her life with. She had to, um, so it's, it's, she sort of leaves, right. She quits all that behind, you know, seizes the means of production herself and goes into her own business. Now she owns her own business. She's no longer subservient to this board of directors, you know, all men, but you know, I didn't really, the gender thing to me wasn't really what this movie is touching on. I think it was more about just breaking free from uh, your boss and doing your own thing. And at the end of the movie, I thought it was really powerful. Yeah. She could have taken that check 
right? Get getting back her life. Now she maybe Sam Shepard comes and joins her, whatever. But she says, no, I don't really, this isn't about the money to me. This is about the yeah. control over my own destiny. Mm -hmm. Like I own my business, giving this away to you guys. You would then own it. I'm not the owner. I, that, I that's what I want. It was her empowerment over owning her own destiny. And, you know, it was a movie in the eighties, which obviously was all about material, uh, material things. So there was owning your own destiny is owning your own business because right. everything had to be filtered through the lens of business in the eighties. Um, but I thought that was actually pretty, I was Very like, powerful. wow, like she actually is telling her to go stuff it and going back to living. Like, you know, it doesn't really matter where she lives. It's like, no, this is my business. I'm going to do what I want with it. And even though you're offering me all this money, like I'm not even going to negotiate with you because I want to own my own thing. And I thought that was really right. cool. And the fact that having this child in her life sort of forced her to, to reevaluate everything and to live a happier life. I think in the end of the movie, she's a happier, happier person, even if Sam Shepard wasn't even there. Like right. I like that rom-com part and they had good chemistry and things, but I was taking this more of her saying, I don't want to be a part of the machine anymore. I want to own my own destiny um, was what I thought was, I was not expecting that in this movie, honestly, especially a movie set in the eighties. Usually it's like, the the goal at the end is you make money or you she get that big deal and then she'd be the CEO and all those people would work for her and that's how she right. would quote unquote win you know that's usually what you find in these eighties movies so I was pleasantly surprised actually that you know instead it was a, a sort of an anti uh, materialist kind of uh, or, or anti like uh, being uh, subservient to your boss anti boss movie she's her <laughs> own boss. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I, I thought it was fine. Like, you know, a bit boring at times, but I think Dan King carried it through. And yeah. I, again, I was surprised by the ending, frankly. Um, and I would hope they would leave it the same today instead of trying to turn it into something where like, she's again, like hiring them all and they're all working for her. And somehow that's the way she can win by yeah. turning into the, the bad boss. Cause they were bad bosses instead of not having people work for her. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Um, but I think to that point of like 80s successes about more money and such and she makes this different choice i think that's powerful a like you said but mm -hmm. b i think that's sort of where the gender of it all does matter a lot and i think that's sort of the subtle beauty of this movie and power of this movie is that it is a feminist movie but it's not sort of being you know hammered up mm -hmm. uh it's it's just is but i think the reason you get that surprise ending, I think it has a lot to do with her being a female, I think. Mm. Uh, and you can read into it however you want to. And I think that's very smart, actually. Yeah, I mean, the, the worry I would have if they made this movie today would that would be a turn into like a, you know, some sort of... It'll become it, like a like, messagey sort of thing. Like the woman owns the board at the end and like her, again, her success is not any kind of personal um self-fulfillment or her now being a having being a mother which really the movie wasn't necessarily about that no. as much as it was her breaking free so she sort of is is again now she's in, in the same way in like a working girl I, that was a movie we covered um in the america episode i think if yeah. people want to go back and listen to that if you haven't seen it you know that that ending of that film where like you know she quote unquote makes it but she's just another cog in the wheel and there's that's what's it's a the, great comparison the, yeah you know you know like and I would hope like that if that movie wanted to have an optimistic ending working girl, it would have been, you know, Tess sort of saying, no, I don't want to be just a worker in this, like what Diane Keaton did in this film. Um, So I think, you know, those movies, again, obviously they're trying to say something different to working girl, which I think right. is a better film. Um, So I'm not trying to compare the movies. there, just saying like those endings were so different to me. One yeah. can be looked at as a positive, but a very dark ending at the same time working girl, 
Whereas this one, it was a really optimistic thing. I thought I was like, wow, like she did learn and is much happier after getting this big shock to her system with a baby being given to her. Um, she's a much happier person, but it's not because of her, her job. It's I think it's because of the, the freedom that she has now. But The uh, freedom and control, yeah. Control, exactly. But it makes sense. The two Tess and Diane Keaton's character would act the way they would because don't forget that Diane was at the top. You know, she's right, already gotten there mm-hmm. versus... Tess is like a nobody. She's just, you know, carving out her path from the, you know, grass root, literally. Mm-hmm. So maybe Tess does this. Right, right. That's 10 true. years from now. That's the hope that she That's would, uh, that she would do this to be a happier ending than turning into, you know, uh, the Sigourney Weaver character, working girl. Um, not to go back to, to that to that film, but uh, yeah, no, it, baby. No, they're in like, dialogue with each other. They are actually, they kind of are. I think they came out like pretty, like within two or three years of one another. Probably, um, yeah. It, both touching on these, this again, this '80s theme of uh, you know material wealth and career and all that kind of stuff in interesting ways. So I'm, I'm glad I saw it. Um, thanks for putting it on the list. It was a good film. I'm glad you did. Padded shoulders, rock. That's <laughs> that's right. <laughs> all right. What's your next? Um, so my number two film on films that uh, shaped my feelings of fall is Fantastic Mr. Fox from 2009. This is a film directed by Wes Anderson. Uh, stop motion film. So starring the voices of George Clooney, Meryl Streep, Bill Murray, Jason Schwartzman, Michael Gambon, Owen Wilson, and a bunch of other great actors. Uh, plot summary from IMDb. An urbane fox cannot resist returning to his farm raiding ways and then must help his community survive the farmer's retaliation. So this film, um, much like the last one I touched on um the uh, Sleepy Hollow, as a lot of the aesthetics here are fall, but instead of the t- t- pirate part of fall that is the dead, cold, crisp look that uh, Sleepy Hollow had, this film is very warm. Um, a lot of like what we were discussing with um, all that uh, heaven allows, there's a lot of autumnal colors. The whole film is uh, is like that. And because it's stop motion, you know, Wes Anderson has even more control than he normally does uh, <laughs> in terms of creating his uh his uh, his look the look of his film so all those warm colors is that coziness that i you know the positive things that i associate uh associate with fall and i you know i i know you you like the melancholy and maybe this movie's maybe not as melancholy uh to your taste but i i feel there's a there's a thread of that enough for me at least there is, of some melancholiness sure. of this character of uh you know the fox the main the main character because he is really grappling with, okay, like he's got kids now. He used to be this crazy fox running around, uh, you know, stealing hens and chickens and everything and ha- leaving like the fast life. But now he's a dad who has to go to a, you know, a job that he's maybe not necessarily really that into. Um, and he's really wrestling, you know, in kind of a midlife crisis, maybe way of like reflecting back and be like, Oh, is this really the, fo- did, is this what I am now? Just this, am I really an animal or am I now been domesticated? And how do I fit with these new responsibilities? of uh being a dad and finding for a family and then how do i suppress my foxy ways of wanting to then continue to go on and rob um and uh, you know kill these chickens which you know another thing i associate a lot with fall too is a lot of the food that is in this movie yeah. uh we have the one of the farmers is a goose farmer and another one's a chicken farmer another one's an apple farmer and all, all these are things you know in the fall if that's apple season i get mentioned i go apple picking a lot you get the fresh applesauce the fresh apples um, the Thanksgiving is in the fall. There's a lot of, you know, the turkey and the fowl and all those sort of things. I associate food a lot with fall um, for sure. And all these foods and all the things that he's stealing from these farmers. I'm like, oh, that looks kind of good. I want to eat that. <laughs> but again, putting me in that, uh, putting me in that mindset. But um, 
Yeah, I think, you know, just getting back to the to this this other theme, I feel that, you know, what the, the Fox kind of what main character sort of grapples with, I think is something too. like as you kind of go back and reflect on your year, you know, it's sort of like you, you look at like a year of, uh, you know, people use the analogy of, you know, a year is sort of you can the seasons are sort of like part of your life. You know, mm. he's at that autumnal stage. Um, of his life where he is really starting to look back and be a little bit reflective on what he's accomplished and what he wants to do. And that is, again, that reflectiveness sort of comes in a lot in the fall. Um, and I think it's, it's a really um, interesting kind of character piece for him um, and all these things that he's going and assessing of what it means now to be a Fox uh, for him now that he has to be domesticated. And I think he learns a lot over the course of the film. Um, and I, I love at the end when he's basically kind of, owned up to the fact that yeah like i'm now you know for lack of a better word like a suburban fox like Mm -hmm. instead of going and robbing these farms where he's killing geese and chickens and things um him at the very end of the movie like he's now robbing a grocery store which is like the most sort of like suburban thing you can have like all the geese are already dead they're already wrapped up but he's still able to provide for his family he's still able to steal a little bit so he's getting a little bit of that uh, that foxiness in there but mm. he's not that that animal of you know going off and killing actually live ge- geese um so i think he kind of learns to accept both his animal side and his um uh his domesticated father side too uh which i think is uh, just a really uh you know great kind of character development moment there but comes from that reflection you know from the fall and yeah overall i think this movie is really funny uh, I love how they, you know, don't swear. They just say cuss instead of using a swear <laughs> word. I think that's absolutely hilarious. Just fantab- uh, fantastic production design. Um, yeah. Wes's first stop motion film. And I think, you know, one of his best films, actually. I think it's amazingly beautiful. Uh, the, the character designs are fantastic. The, the uh, um, voice acting across the board, like I said, just so good. Really beautiful, but very layered, too. It's a good kids movie, but it also, again, has a lot of really adult themes, um, in this film too, that really, I think hit on that melancholiness that come with the fall, but also with getting older, you know, I don't think, uh, you know, a little mm-hmm. kid is going to be as melancholy as maybe an older Fox, um, who's sort of going through these things. Um, you know, especially that scene with the wolf, I think is super powerful, mm-hmm. um, later in that film, when he really learns that real lesson is when he sees that wolf and the wolf kind of gives him that fist in the totally. air is a great yeah. moment. But yeah, I think, you know, for me, aesthetically, this film is the cozier side of fall, but then also the, that bit of bit of melancholy that I, that I do associate with the, with the season of it too. I love this movie so much. Um, was so happy to go back and check it out again. I'd seen it maybe a few a year ago or so. Everything mm-hmm. you said um, kind of hits on point. Um, I don't even know what I could add. Uh, you've covered everything, but oh. <laughs> I, all I would say is that this is just one of his best. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I have to say, this is probably one of my George Clooney's favorite role. Mm. Like his voice is just so well suited mm-hmm. to this character and what this character is going through. It's, I think it's one of his best performances. Um, Everybody. And also like how funny this movie is. Like I love his friend. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. What is his name? I forget his name. He's not a badger. Um, a mole? Was he a mole? Yeah, I think yeah, he's a mole. I can't remember the name of the, the guy. They're so funny. Yeah, when so he gets that funny. like that crazy eyes sometimes, he yeah. just gets frozen, gets the crazy eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other kid who shows up, who Jason Jason Schwartzman's character is jealous oh, of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His cousin. That's such a great dynamic. Oh, uh, yeah. And all the things that other kid is up to, um, you know, with the ski masks. And they're just... 
it's Wes. What, what we what can we say? Like mm-hmm. the attention to detail is at another level across the board. So it's just such a treat to be part of this world. And whenever I watch a good West movie, I'm always thinking of what a fun life this would be for him and all his kind of partners in crime. You know, mm. you get together a, a few years, you all lock into each other and you have similar sensibilities. You're all massively talented and you create this beautiful piece of art. Mm-hmm. feels like an ideal life to me. Like I <laughs> wish I were so lucky to have, I mean, A, just talent for right. anything. <laughs> but then B, sort of have this group of people that you meet up with. Like it's the definition of happiness, community, you know, making something that means something it's just, I always think of that. And I think this movie really exemplifies that. No, no definitely. I, I think it was uh, the, um, the episode we had, we covered Rushmore, right? That was right. Uh, 10 years before this movie came out, had, you know, Schwartzman and Murray, and he's still, Same I, you know, now 10 years later, he's putting him in this movie. So yeah. yeah, that is that little bit of like the players that he likes, uh, you know, the creative, they get that creative energy flowing between them. Um, but yeah, good call on Clooney on the, on the voice acting. I think just gives this character a lot of pathos that from a uh it's not even animation right it's stop motion so the character's facial expressions are even more limited um than a than a human face and but so a lot of it comes to in the voice uh in terms of everything that you really do people and also meryl i mean what she's great about meryl obviously but you know the two of them they're dynamic they're like subtle things like she knows what he's up to. Mm-hmm. You can feel that in her voice. Right. Even before she calls him out on it, just like little things, you know, it's just so good. Yeah. So good. F- fantastic film. Yeah. So if anyone has not seen this yet, it's good for all seasons. So you don't just have to watch in the fall, but a great, <laughs> great family film uh, as well for adults. I think it's very, very layered in that sense. Totally. Great. Uh, so I think we're now to your number one fall yes. film. What, what do you got for us, Karan? So my number one is You've Got Mail, maybe a predictable choice, but oh well, from 1998, directed by Nora Ephron, starring Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, Greg Kinnear, Dave Chappelle, Quick Logline, book superstore magnate Joe Fox, and independent bookshop owner Kathleen Kelly fall in love in the anonymity of the internet, both blissfully unaware that he's trying to put her out of business. So... This movie's on had to be on my list because this is what I see in fall, which is things are happy, it's holiday season, everything is beautiful, crisp air, there's like a buoyancy to it. And yes, there's reflectiveness and all of that, but for the most part, it's it's sort of a happy time. Um, and that's whenever I think of fall movies, this is the movie I think of, uh, I would say more than some of the other ones, although it's, it's a close race here, but, uh, but yeah, that's why this movie is, is number one. Um, a lot has been talked about this movie. So, you know, there's not that much more to add other than, I think this is also, we've been talking a lot about reflection. This is also a very reflective movie in that sense especially for meg ryan's character and maybe tom Hanks's character too of like for her it's about what is my legacy you know what Mm -hmm. do i stand for how much do i want to hold on to that um 
And the same is actually true for for Tom Hanks's character as well. You know, he grew up in a very different way, comes from big money. You see his father, the way he lives. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of arrogance uh, there, obviously. And I think it's it's a very smart premise that both these characters are wrestling with the same things, really. What is my legacy? What do I stand for? But from different points of views, and that's the clash. And then that's what leads to love. If I'm being totally honest, like how and why they get together in the end, I've always had a question mark there. Mm -hmm. But if anybody can sell it, it's these two actors. (laughs) Uh, Because it's it's a pretty big jump after everything that's gone on in the movie. But I sort of buy it. I would have been totally okay if they actually didn't get together or maybe just stayed friends you know, but I get it. It's a rom-com. You need that cheer moment. They have to come together somehow. Um, it's Nora Ephron, obviously one of the sharpest writers there is. Like this movie is so sharp from like a dialogue standpoint mm-hmm. across the board from the very beginning, just like little things uh, across the board. Uh, it's just, it's funny. It's it's sad. It's delightful. It's joyful. Um, the one last thing I would say is that, uh, I was showing this to my boyfriend the last time we saw it last year. And he's like, if she's going out of business, why does she have six employees in a store? I'm like, I didn't think about that before. <laughs> Good point. Why do you have all these people? What do they do? Nothing. Yeah. You don't need any of those people, actually. So, you know, chop, chop, like get, get your act together. <laughs> so, Layoffs. Layoffs. Yeah. I mean, oh, Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. So uh, that always now that make makes me kind of crack up uh, yeah. now that I know that in my head. But but yeah, it's a delightful movie. Both of them are amazing, and it's New York. It's fall. It's a good time. Yeah. So this uh, actually this podcast I hadn't seen I hadn't seen this film either. So it's three wow. new films for um, me. Yeah, never wow. seen this. Um, and uh, yeah, I. Uh, I had a very different take on the film that, than you did. Um, I know it's the fall <laughs> episode, so saying hot take might not really be appropriate. Maybe like cool, crisp take on this film. Um, yeah, I was actually kind of surprised um, at the basic... A lot of things in this film really surprised me. Um, one was the basic premise of the fact that they're having an affair from the outset. Um, the movie starts with them already having been communicated in this chat room. They both have significant others, one a live-in partner, the other one a boyfriend. It's not mm-hmm. like there's any sense that they're, um, you know, in that they're not like wrong for each other. There's no drama or that partner's bad for them, but they're already having this affair online. Um, which I don't, wouldn't say it's an affair. It's more like uh, a friendship. It's, I mean, I think there's even a scene in the movie where it's like, is having an online affair the same thing as cheating? Like she literally has that line yeah. in, in the film. Um, and maybe it's the late 90s. So somehow like online affairs are okay because the internet is new. But I was like, whoa, this is like weird that like they're having it. Why would you as a writer just make them single or make one of them have a terrible partner or something or, you know, like just that was very weird. Um, It actually was to the point where like there's a scene when, you know, uh, Tom Hanks's uh, girlfriend like goes to sleep and he waits till she's asleep and then runs off and then gets on his computer and is like, <laughs> te- you know, I don't know, say texting, like messaging or emailing first. Right. Because you got mail, then it switches to AIM, and I remember being like, "Oh my god, 
now they're like, oh no, this is ex- accelerated to the point. And now the affair is like instant messaging. And then there's a scene where Tom makes like, should we meet in person? And I'm like, whoa, major escalation there. Um, so that part was just weird. It's like, why have them being in an affair the whole time? And if you want to have a meet cute of them meeting in a chat room randomly, like let's see that. So we're at least invested in this relationship instead of at least for me in the outside, I'm like, okay, these guys bad, like this this is not good for me (laughs) um and then like tom hanks like i it's a weird performance and his character when he finds out who she is um that she you know is the woman that he's trying to drive out of business stuff he knows that first like you know they're having this online affair and then uh he's like oh let's meet in person so they're gonna meet it you know at this bar when he realizes that's her and then decides to not say anything to her and then kind of like toy with her for the rest of the movie. I thought it was like kind of uh, like sociopathic, yeah, especially that's the part that I mean, it's like, why does yeah. this need, can't he just tell her and have it be like a, they both have the power in this relationship instead of him lording this over her. And then there's this weird sequence when he's like still messaging her as his online persona, but then meeting her in person. And he's sort of like giving her advice on the online. It's like, he's saying, Oh, choose between me or me. And let me kind of like get into this and sort of like, it just seemed like these weird, like mind games that just seemed, uh, yeah, gaslighting. It just was very odd. Um, And then there's a scene when he goes to her apartment. And again, she still doesn't know that he's her secret online affair. He knows it, but she doesn't shows up with flowers, like kind of forces himself in on this woman who's like, you're just some guy, like, what are you doing? Sits on her bed, puts mm-hmm. his hand on her mouth. And I'm like, whoa, what, <laughs> what are you? If I was Meg Ryan, I'd be like, get the hell out of here. Who are you just sitting, like bring me flowers, sitting on bed, forcing yourself into my apartment. Like all and of that I'm was sick. just so weird. And she's sick. I'm like, what is going on here? And then I just, I can't really recreate this scene, but when he is uh, going back a little bit to that scene, when he just realizes that it's her and Dave Chappelle, who's his friend is like, mm-hmm. Oh, she's, you know, she's gorgeous or something. He gives this weird, like he goes into these like spasms on the street, like freaking out about like, Oh, she's so hot and attractive and whatever. And it's just the oddest performance. I just did not Tom Hanks at first. He was like, okay, uh, kind of weird. Then he starts turning to kind of really weird after that freak out. And the whole rest of the movie, I'm like, you're kind of a villain in this, honestly. <laughs> like, you're literally toying with this poor woman while at the same time totally destroying her entire life, her livelihood, and a livelihood that the movie also makes a point represents her mom to her. Oh, my mom died. Yeah. She left me this store. This is everything to me. And then Tom Hanks knows that and still destroys the business. And then when she finds out, she's like, yeah, whatever, fine. I, 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 what is that? line at the end oh i was hoping to be you it's like what i don't buy that la- that last scene was just <laughs> yeah so many ways like they could have again I-, I blame the writing in this honestly like they could have written something where it's like okay well maybe once he realizes her in his big bookstore or whatever they're they'll shut down the kids section and it'll be like look you will you'll be the kids bookstore and we'll have like you know every other thing so you can still stay in business or maybe i'll acquire you or put you inside like your store is inside of my store something that shows that he has love for her because she values this store i just uh yeah i i it was a shocking to me that this movie was as successful and as it was honestly it's very i thought it was very odd Two hundred and fifty million dollars. I know. Yeah. Like, did anyone not see? Like, first they're having <laughs> of online affairs, and then he's like a gaslighting sociopath. Um, I, yeah. It was. It was. It was fun to watch this because it's like, wait, there's no way this is still gonna. Oh my! Every scene was like surprising. Um, but uh-huh. I guess the good thing in the end is, you know, there's this whole thing about like lar- large bookstores 
you know, killing the small bookstores and driving out of business. And this movie took place in what, like 98, 99. So give it a couple years and then the online bookstores will destroy Tom Hanks' business. So he'll get his just desserts at some point. <laughs> uh, just, yeah, it, that that's my hot take on You Got Mail. I was, I was not expecting to, to sort of have as many problems with this movie. I thought it'd just be a harmless kind of like lifetime movie sort of thing, which I enjoy like lighthearted romance movies. But yeah, at least like address that they're having an affair and not this weird, you know, a throwaway kind of scene where they bring it up, but then they kind of push it under the rug. All choices the writer could have made differently. Um, it's not like all these things could have been different. It didn't have to be in part of the plot, but yeah, that's that's my you got mail, Chris Cold take. I, the fall. <laughs> I actually can't argue with any of those factual points because they're all true and all weird, but there's something about, I think, the feeling of the movie that sort of makes it okay. The part that yeah. I can't get over with is sort of the ending part. Like yeah. these two people should not be together. No. That I've never been able to go get past. No. But the yeah. rest of it, I don't know. Like the rest of the people who are who contributed to the $50 million worldwide. I just, yeah. Uh, I somehow got okay with I, I don't know why. And maybe I need to interrogate that more. <laughs> I think I, I think the thing with the affair thing is that. And maybe this could have been shown a little bit better. The way I've always read it is that those relationships that they're in have been long over, you know? Sure, yeah. And I don't think even they know at this point that they're actually, you know, having an affair with each other. It's sort of this thing that's popped up that is a friend, is a guide, a distraction or what have you. And... And sometimes that happens, I think, you know, it's sort of, I wish it was dealt with a little bit more like thoughtfulness and sensitivity versus like it's caught in in the rom-com trope, right? So they're not going to give it that much. Like there's probably a dramatic version of this movie, which makes a whole lot more sense and reference, you know, addresses all the things that you're saying. But I think a lot of that is just like put on the wayside because they just, you know, want to keep it fun and light and happy and what have you. But that's how I've always read it, that Mm. these people have, they've been long over and they are not fully aware that this is even happening, that they are actually in an affair. I don't think they knew that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, like the movie could have. Yeah. The movie could have done a better job. Show that a little little bit more. Yeah. Because I agree with you, like Brief Encounter, one of my favorite movies, right? Like that's about two people have it happen. Yeah. We talked about in a previous episode, right? People happen to meet each other and then stuff happens. You can't control that. That's destiny. What have you a little bit different than like sliding into someone's DMS in an anonymous chat room and starting to like chat someone up on the side. I don't know. So something about that. And maybe it is just the technology being different. Uh, I somehow drive that as different, but again, the movie didn't need to do that. That's it's a fake world. Like they could have, had both of them single or one of them single or shown the relationships being over instead of, you know, Tom Hanks' wife is trying to get her a job more than she, when he was doing for her, she's like, Oh, I can, I'm a book dealer or something. I can True. I forget what the line was. She, she was a good person. Like she's helping Tom Hanks is destroying her career. His <laughs> girlfriend's trying to help her career. Meanwhile, this is the girl that he's having, you know, online. It just was, it was crazy. I just was uh, very <laughs> surprised, but I was surprised with him. I'm glad I finally saw it. Cause in my mind, it was like a, you know, a, like a runaway bride or, you know, that kind of fluffy sort of like romantic comedy thing that I don't know. I had a lot of problems with it, but it was a fun, it was fun <laughs> to watch it just to be so surprised. Um, 
And, uh, and just, I love like the nineties sort of internet movies where you're like, oh, this is so funny and how dated all the technology is. Yeah, yeah, Even yeah. from the opening sequence when it's like this whole computer generated. I, I love it. That's fun. I love that stuff. Yeah, um, I love it. But, uh, yeah, you got mail. That's, that's, my, that's my take on it. All right. So from that cold, crisp take, <laughs> <laughs> what is your number one? Yeah, so my number one, we're switching genres a bit from the rom-com to horror. Um, so my number one is Halloween from 1978. This is directed by John Carpenter, starring Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasance. IMDb plot summary, 15 years after murdering his sister on Halloween night 1963, Mike Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois to kill again. So like I talked about in the beginning of this episode, like, for me, one of the big moments of fall, even to this day, even though fall is not much of a season in LA, is Halloween. Um, it was one of my favorite holidays, if not my favorite holiday growing up as a kid. Um, I loved the whole, you know, the costumes, uh, the trick-or-treating, um, the candy, um, that, that whole thing. But, you know, one thing I would do a lot um, growing up, and especially now, is around the time of October leading into Halloween, it would be a horror movies is what I'd spend the majority of my time watching was Love that genre as a kid. Um, obviously, as a kid, I was watching more things like, uh, you know, the Disney version of Sleepy Hollow um, and nothing like this, yeah. uh, which I didn't see until I was uh, in college, actually. It was the first time I saw Halloween. Um, but it, in my mind, uh, not only does the movie take place on Halloween Day, which is a holiday I associate with the fall um, and is a horror movie, but is my favorite horror movie. And I think arguably one of the, the best, if not the best horror movie that, that's been made. Um, you know, I think, again, the film takes place over Halloween. So you see a lot of the, you know, the, the regalia, the pumpkins, and actually the opening shot of the movie was during the credit sequence as a, as a, as a jack-o'-lantern, right? Mm -hmm. There's a pumpkin carving scene. So you have all that. Uh, the film, you know, takes place in Illinois, though, was shot in L.A. So you can the streets don't necessarily look fall. <laughs> but but uh, in terms of the <laughs> aesthetics uh, at all, uh, it definitely looks like Pasadena where they filmed it. But. <laughs> That what John Carpenter is able to do, I think, is really capture, though, the the stillness and the quiet of like a dark fall night uh, where mm -hmm. it is like, OK, it's kind of creepy. Um, it's kind of still even though, you know, again, Halloween night, there'd be kids run around. So not necessarily the most realistic depiction of trick or treating. Um, but um, I think a fall night, you know, when when I watch this film and, and what he's able to do during the, the, the night sequences in this film, it really does feel like it is a cold uh, Illinois night instead of a warm um pasadena one mm -hmm. um and, and in this movie though you know really is still still incredibly scary to me um i think uh, you know i watch it every year actually on halloween or close to it um it's like a ritual for me to do mm -hmm. um and i'm still scared by it uh there's still sequences especially um uh when mike myers is uh chasing laurie who's jennifer lee curtis towards the end of the film um some great shots uh one especially that just that still just creeps me out every time i see it um, she's sort of like crouched in the corner and next to a closet that's all dark. And then gradually kind of like, um, you know, Mike Myers's white mask is revealed there. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of a sting in the soundtrack that gets me every time, yeah. um, even though I've seen it hundreds of times, uh, just the way that John Carpenter is able to set that up with uh, with uh, with that shot. And, and also, I, I do want to give a shout out to the DP on this film, uh, which is Carpenter's DP he's had for a long time. Uh, Dean Cundy, who then went on to work with Spielberg and Zemeckis on some huge movies, Jurassic Park, um, uh, Roger Rabbit, like they kind of stole him because he was so good. But man, the stuff he does with the gliding camera in this movie, gliding the camera around, it really makes it feel like you are watching. It's like a point of view. I mean, honestly, totally. the, the first 
sequence in this film is incredible point of view shot of young Mike Myers camera goes upstairs and he murders his sister. Um, but it's super creepy, but throughout the whole movie, because they have this like gliding camera, like, I don't know if it's a steady camera, what it actually was, but you feel like you, and not a lot of editing then where the camera's moving around and you feel like you're it's, you're there with them where your eyes are moving around and different things, as opposed to, you know, the cuts that happen in most movies, it makes you feel like you're there, which is even scarier. Like you're there totally. in the room. Mike Myers could be there. Um, you know, and obviously this is films been talked to death. I mean, in terms of what it meant for the horror genre and film and one of the more successful independent films of all time, all these things jump-started Carpenter's career. Who's one of my favorite directors. So, you know, we don't need to get into all that. I mean, we could talk about it for hours, but I had to put a, put a horror film on here. I mean, the fall to me is, is definitely uh, the spookiest time of the year. Um, so Halloween, <laughs> the original, not the, not any of the remakes, which I don't really have much of a, a liking liking for. I was going to ask you about the remakes and the sequels or whatever. Um, well, you have two horror movies, actually. Sleepy uh, Hollow Sleepy is Hollow, also horror. Yeah, yeah, it's a horror of. comedy. Yeah, it is horror a little comedy. bit. Yeah, it is a little bit. This one definitely is more of the straight-up horror. It's I, a straight-up horror. There's, I don't think there's really much much comedy in it. But yeah, so, no. you know, that's... Even though, yeah, one-and-a-half horror movies, I mean, that you see kind of what, I'm, what for me, the fall... Um, <laughs> that, that was, like, the highlight of the fall for me as, as a kid <laughs> and even now, like, the Halloween. Uh, I miss going to Halloween parties. Um, something I don't get to do anymore because of the <laughs> pandemic and stuff, but uh, it's always right. fun to get into a costume and Bob for apples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had watched this movie once before with a bunch of people, actually not too long ago from today. Maybe oh, really? Like, I want to say like three, four years ago, perhaps. Because oh, okay. horror is just not my right. thing. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm... Maybe I should take a minute to explain why it's not my thing, which is that it's not that I'm scared. I mean, I I will be scared for sure. I'm, you know, I'm only human. <laughs> right, but right, right. It's not that so much. I mean, my mom still tells me the story, or my aunt actually, that as a kid, there was this like horror TV show that used to come on TV like Friday nights or something late night. Mm-hmm. And if my parents were out at a party or somewhere and if my aunt was kind of watching us over i would insist to put that thing on oh. and if like another kid of my age came over who would usually be like you know crouching in the corner with the eyes covered i would be the one like taking care of them because oh it yeah never it scare you yeah not really because i always yeah. sort of was like this is not real like even at a young age i could sort of say that and i think that is the thing like, hmm. because I know it's not real, I'm sort of like, what is the point? I know a lot of people listening to this are like rolling their <laughs> eyes and <laughs> everything, really. So there's a little bit of that. But then also, you know, I totally get it. Like, that's why we do this podcast, because film is, you know, to us, like the most encompassing uh, depiction of all emotions, right. right, of all kinds. And scare is just not, an emotion that I sort of give a lot of, you know, value to, which is not to say that you couldn't use horror to, you know, tell something groundbreaking, interesting. Mm -hmm. I fully, fully value that for sure. And that's why like this movie, even though it's just, it's just so scary. And this, the the watch that I had for the podcast, like I didn't watch, I couldn't watch all of it because I cannot, (laughs) and I do not want to put myself in in that position. 
but you can't help but not marvel at what this person and this team created with very little it's so effective so affecting that it probably but i think of horror movies this is the movie i think of i haven't seen that many in my life but mm-hmm. i'm glad that i watched this because it's this work has to be celebrated the way it has been and it'll always be celebrated in my mind and we you didn't even mention Jamie Lee Curtis who is oh so good know, yeah. iconic and is still you know building running a career on this part because it's just so incredible and so iconic so yeah yeah i i love all of that but man it's it's scary i don't want to <laughs> and i guess the other thing i would say is that since i didn't grow up with, with halloween or any of that like mm, yeah i was going to ask about that yeah was that even a known thing no not at all oh, okay. now it is which is laughable to me because i'm like oh you're walking around in costumes in like the heat <laughs> why this is yeah. ridiculous um it's like a commercial holiday basically mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. i mean it's fine people want to have fun it's okay i should it's not been- it's been commercialized, though. They take all the... No one even talks about Satan anymore. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's his night, and now it's all about just candy oh, and costumes. No. Like, come on, where are the pentagrams? Where's the candles? Oh, where's no. the where's the human sacrifice? It's just like this holiday just ruined now, you know? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. I know. No, I'm just yeah, joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, totally. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know... Uh, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, but I th- yeah, I didn't grow up with it, so, you know... But moving here and living here now for so long like it, i see the the point like i see the the fun in it you know it's 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 obviously very funny but i'm also not a big costume person in general ah, okay so there's also that kind of playing into it. it it feels like a lot of effort and also i don't know there is a bit of a, a kind of a scare that I feel genuinely on Halloween night. And it's not even because of the movies, but it's because that people are, it's almost like people have a free pass mm. to be somebody else and do mm. whatever. And that's sort of the fact that I'm not in control or society is not in control. There's something thrilling about that, but mm. there's also something very scary about that to me. Mm-hmm. Like on Halloween night, if I hear like, like a loud you know, drunk person screaming, whatever. There's definitely a feeling of dread that creeps up in my mm. head. That what if this person is just like unhinged and start running like a crazy person? I don't know how much of this is like movie iconography speaking, <laughs> but I feel like I feel like this about like drunk, out of control people in mm. in general. Like I, I think I've said this before on the podcast that I don't find drunk people at bars funny. Mm-hmm. For the most part, because I I sort of can feel there's something, you know, lurking that could be a little bit dangerous. So, so this holiday is all about that. But I get the point. I get that's the point. Like you know, being somebody else for one night, you get to be that and have fun with it. So, I totally get it. It's not my thing, really. Yeah, no, no, totally. Yeah, it's it's yeah. you just described the. I haven't seen the films, but there's the Purge horror franchise. It's basically yeah. about that, right? Not Halloween, but you know, people getting one night to kind of do whatever they want, and that what that means on society. I've heard right. the franchise is actually pretty interesting from what I've what I've read. Which yeah. you know, I think in terms of the horror genre, I mean, for me, this movie does scare me. Though few horror films do, but I'm not necessarily in it always for the scares. I, I like the genre because it can say a lot of it can usually say a lot of things that you True. can't really say effectively in other genres i think horror and sci-fi are two of my favorite genres because i think they're the most uh malleable in terms of 
the different types of commentary you can make on society and get away with it versus if you're trying to do it as a drama, either be too on the nose so it wouldn't work or maybe too scandalous so you can't really talk about it. Um, so that's that's to me what horror, that's why I, you know, it was one of my, the genres that I I tend to like because of what it says. And usually Makes horror sense. movies always have something to say. Not not that I, don't, I actually don't really know what this movie is trying to say, but um, it, other than it just being really scary. So maybe this wasn't the best example of a horror movie that's kind of saying something. And maybe I'll have to reflect a little bit on what Carpenter uh, was trying to do with the film. But I just think, you know, it's like you were saying, the craft of this is just uh off the charts from everyone everyone involved the score i have to shout out to carpenter oh, yeah. did i mean you play you play those notes i mean everyone knows what that is but yep. uh, even i know <laughs> right exactly yeah yeah even you know um cool so uh that's the end of our list anything that uh, didn't make it for you well far from heaven obviously i did have hocus pocus because that's as close uh, as I yeah, get. Yeah, that's a fun movie. I, I like that. It's a fun movie. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, that's sort of become a bit of a Halloween ritual. Yeah, yeah, okay. Me, I was nice. like, okay, I'll watch that. You nice. know, it's kind of fun. Um, You had fantastic Mr. Fox. If you mm-hmm. hadn't put it, I would have put that on my list for sure. Um, nice. So yeah, those would be some of the ones. What about you? Um, For me, it was uh, another horror movie, Blair Witch Project, um, Clue, oh, yeah. which is like that cozy mystery uh, feeling that I like in the in the in the fall, and then uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, which I think blends a lot of what it's what it's like towards the end of the season when it gets into holiday times, the Christmas holiday times. Um, so, uh, cool, great. Well, uh, an- another season gone, um, and I uh, hope everyone enjoyed uh, the episode today. And yeah, you enjoyed the dialogue. You got a lot of memories of fall that maybe these films remind you of. Folks that actually have the fall season, hopefully it's a it's a nice crisp one with beautiful leaves. Um, and then some scares in there, too, for folks who, who enjoy Halloween. And, uh, yeah, make sure to tell your friends about us. Uh, write uh, reviews and rate us on all your podcast platforms. Make, make sure also, if you're not a subscriber already, to subscribe. Uh, we shout out a couple episodes we did in the past where we covered some movies. So if you haven't seen those episodes, make sure to go back and uh, check them out. And until, uh, until next time, talk to you later, Karan. Talk to you later as well. And yeah, slip into Alex's DMs. He loves that. <laughs> as long as you're not Tom Hanks. Super, just so sociopath. But uh, cool. I think there should be a horror movie version of You've Got Mail. Now Honestly, you said this. I kind of feel like it. If you look at it just <laughs> it as is. the character of Tom Hanks, I'm like, he is acting like, um, you know, uh, Bateman from like American Psycho in terms of what he's <laughs> what he's doing. I think a couple edits and maybe you change the soundtrack and we could you turn it into it. a horror movie. Yeah, maybe I'll do an edit of that uh, that film. That sounds great. <laughs>